Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? Don't What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And last episode, we lied to you all. We lied right to your faces because we said we were done with NFL season preview content. Not totally true, because although we have now given everything from our awards picks to our records for every single team to our playoff predictions, our Super Bowl champions, all of that stuff, we have one more show for you here with the season just five days away. And that is just six bold predictions from each of us for this upcoming season. And now, obviously, because we have given our playoff picks, we have given our records and all that, a lot of stuff has been taken off the board here. So maybe we'll center more on specific categories here, specific players, all that kind of stuff. We've each got six of them, though. So, Logan, I'm interested in seeing what you have come up with. You already let out some pretty bold predictions on the last episode. No repeats here, but we'll see what you got. So what's your first bold prediction? Well, I do stick with one of the teams that I mentioned uh, in my bold predictions, obviously, my Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so let's get it started. My bold take for Pittsburgh here, I think the Steelers lead the NFL in sacks for the fifth consecutive season. And, you know, this may not seem like a super hot take again with how consistent our pass rush has been, but Carson, there's actually a lot of potentially limiting factors uh, for our pass rush this season. Um T.J. Watt has yet to sign his contract extension. He has not practiced with the team whatsoever. I mean, it's kind of just naturally assumed that we're going to get this done so that he's going to be with the team. But if Kevin Colbert doesn't get it with T.J. Watt, we may not see him on the field. That hasn't been done yet. Uh, Stephon Tuitt is not going to be healthy for the season opener. He's likely to miss a couple weeks to open it up. He has a preseason injury, and the Steelers kept seven D linemen on the roster instead of a traditional six, also hinting that, again, he could be out longer than expected. Watt had 15 sacks in 2020. Tuitt had 11 sacks, or two leading guys. You know, have big question marks around them coming into this season. We lose Bud Dupree. He had eight sacks in 11 games. Again, we potentially have a lot of... A lot of sack totals to replace here this season, and it's not just those guys. Mike Hilton, excellent blitzing corner. There's just a lot of question marks on if this pass rush can be as dominant, but I'm projecting that we will be. I think that Alexander Highsmith steps in and is an immediate beast off rip. He looked okay in his rookie season, and I've harped on how good he's looked in preseason. I don't think he lets up. I think he replaces Bud Dupree basically seamlessly. I'm expecting eight to ten sacks initially. I, I genuinely believe that much in this kid. I think Melvin Ingram steps in and plays a big role as well. Not, you know, double-digit sacks, but I don't think six to eight is out of the realm of possibility. Again, with how much attention I still expect T.J. Watt to bring off the edge. And Cam Hayward had a down year. Again, we moved him to the interior uh, with Tyson Alualu. It worked best for us. We had a really good run-stopping unit as well with those two. He only had four sacks last season, though. He returns. I expect him to have even more if he is back from the interior. Probably six up, uh, you know, six around there again. But we lost... We've lost a lot, um, pass rush-wise, Bud Dupree, again, Mike Hilton, some of our blitzing corners. There's questions with Tuitt and TJ Watt. So, you know, I don't think this is one of my bolder takes, again, because I expect us to have one of the premier pass rushes if TJ Watt is healthy. Um, Do you think I'm crazy? Do you expect another team to take a big leap? Um, Or do you think the Steelers repeat for the fifth consecutive season uh, as the sack leaders in the NFL? 
I don't think you're crazy at all. And that's honestly a pretty mind-boggling stat that they've already led it four years in a row. Logan, you're a big Steelers guy. You're definitely not a pessimist, let's say. But I don't think that this is unreasonable at all. I considered a couple of Steelers-related sack takes, actually. I considered saying that they might get to 60 sacks this year. I considered saying that TJ Watt might get to 20 sacks this year because I think that he is probably the presumptive favorite to lead the league again. And he only had 15 last year, but just with how far and away he generated the most pressures in the league, maybe there's room for even more growth there. No, I don't think that this is unrealistic at all. I think that this is clearly one of the best defensive fronts, certainly best pass rushing units in football. And there will be contenders. Maybe the football team can take a step because it's a young group. Chase Young still improving. Brilliant play on words there by me. Young group, Chase Young. The Rams, I think, are still going to be firmly in that conversation. Maybe the Ravens just blitzing the hell out of everybody. But I think that the Steelers are probably the favorite. So it would be very impressive, but it would not be shocking to me. And I think that this is the presumed strength of their team. It's not just the defense. It's specifically the pass rush. So I don't think that this is crazy. Bold? Maybe. But I would probably say they're the most likely team to do it. So I think that this is a good choice. My first bold prediction is that Jameis Winston leads the league in interceptions thrown. And some of you may be thinking, well, how is that bold? This is a guy who threw 30 picks last time around. Well, according to Vegas, Jameis has the 19th best odds to lead the league in interceptions thrown right now. 19th. That's putting a lot of faith in a guy who has these brand new fancy robot eyes and is in this great new simplified role in New Orleans with a great run game and all of that. My contention is just this. If you look at Jameis up to this point, his average interceptions per year in the seasons when he's been a starter is 17.6. When he had all-pro Doug Martin and that great run game, they were fifth in rushing yards, second in yards per attempt, he still threw 15 interceptions. That was rookie Jameis Winston, sure, but he didn't exactly get less turnover or prone after that. And maybe some people would attribute that to situations saying, okay, He's playing in such a vertical offense. He's having to do so much because they didn't have that reliable run game. That's fair to an extent, but my point is when he did have that and when he didn't have to carry the load for the offense, the guy was still turning the ball over a ton. And then obviously, last time we saw him as a starter, he again threw 30 of them. And the year before that, he had 14 in 11 games, was on pace for over 20. Over his career, basically, if you have him at a 16-game season every year, from Tampa, I think he's averaging like 19.6 picks per year. So my point is, Jameis could have a career year, and he, I think, will be certainly better in New Orleans than we've seen him previously. I think he looked good in preseason. I thought he was making good decisions. I think, obviously, the guy is going to have the ultimate safety valve in Kamara. They're going to have an outstanding run game. They're going to have a great offensive system, and I think that all of that can be favorable for him. And he can still lead the league in picks. Because last year, Carson Wentz led, tied with Drew Locke, with just 15 interceptions. The year before Jameis had 30, Big Ben led with just 16. So if Jameis has a 32-touchdown, 15-16 interception season, he could be really good. He could lead an efficient offense. And that could be a career year for him. And he can still do it. So I don't know if I actually think he's the most likely guy. I thought about Carson Wentz here too, just as sort of like a, hey, I don't know why we're all so confident he's going to be great, but I do think his role is going to be pretty simplified. I think it's probably going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick at the end of the day, but when I saw that Jameis was tied for 19th in odds, I was like, guys, I think we might be overreacting here because I know you're big on the eye surgery thing, but this is what I said about Vinny Testaverde. It didn't change anything for him. He was still leading the league in picks every time out there, and like, I don't think that colorblindness is that huge of a determinant because if you can't tell who's on your team that's problematic well no I'm sorry so Jameis Jameis I thought was just like he was like nearsighted or farsighted you're telling me Jameis was also colorblind that's what I thought let me check though um I do think you make a really good point with how reasonable of a take this can be with the limited amount of interceptions you know we have moved really far along from the Brett Favre Ben Roethlisberger Eli Manning 20 to 25 plus pick years so I think that's definitely what's in your favor I just expect Jameis to be better bro like yeah nearsighted yeah he's I don't know bro I genuinely think that is going to help him a lot now I get what you're saying decision making is not going to change you're still getting that same gun slinging Jameis Winston let me ask you this because I think it's a very reasonable take it's very likely and honestly 
With those kind of odds, I might have to hit for real. <laughs> those are it's really likely to happen. If Jameis leads the league in interceptions, can the Saints still make the playoffs? That's a good question. I would say probably, like, again, one interception a game from Jameis Winston, that's pretty good. I don't think you can expect all that much better than that. So, yes, I think because the run game will be elite, I think because this has the potential to be a top 10 defense. And let me be clear, I don't have them in the playoffs as is. I have them just missing at 9-8. and eight. But I think that a pick a game from Jameis or just less than that, again, 15 picks in a 17-game season or whatever— is a very reasonable expectation, and he could have a career year doing that. So I don't think he's going to take them out of the picture there. I don't think he's going to be as turnover-prone as he's been in years past, and I do think he's going to do a good job. But this is Jameis Winston, and it's all about relative to the performance we've seen previously, and we've seen this guy throw a lot of interceptions. Yeah, and I want to contextualize that. Still, since 2015, Jameis Winston with basically 20 games less played than other guys on this list, still has the most interceptions thrown since 2015. So it's a solid take. And again, I genuinely might pull my wallet out and have to hit on that because, like, I don't know. Like, I don't really know any other really likely candidates. Like, maybe you want to bet Big Ben. I, he's, he's probably another solid pick, but it's, it's, it's a solid take. I can definitely see it happening. I don't have a, a bad quarterback take here. I have a Really, I'm really optimistic about this guy, and that's Zach Wilson. Uh, I said he was going to be my Rookie of the Year pick, and I remember distinctly on that pod, I said, no, I'm not expecting him to break Herbert or Mayfield's touchdown record. But you know what? I've doubled back on it. We're doubling down. I think he does break the rookie pass down, t- uh, passing touchdown record. And it may, again, it may seem extremely unlikely because of the meteoric performances we saw out of Herbert and Mayfield's rookie campaigns, truly historic, but I think that's precisely the reason that I think Wilson can step in and break the record. For one, we have a 17-game season. If he starts all of those games, it's an extra game to bolster those numbers. But two, before those guys, we just really didn't see rookies ever step in and ball out like that. Like, it was just completely unexpected. That's why you were foolish to bet against the Russell Wilson record, the Peyton Manning record. And I want to give context to this record because, you know, that's what we do here at Nerd Sesh. It was held by Peyton Manning for 14 years when he threw 26 touchdowns in 98 until Russell Wilson came along in 2012 to tie it. Mayfield came in, broke the record in 13 starts and 14 games overall with 27. Herbert once again breaks the record last season when he throws 31 touchdowns. Funnily enough, Tyrod Taylor was the starting quarterback on both of those teams, so maybe Davis Mills is actually the safe bet here. Um, But, like, Wilson is just – it's not only that he's just uber-talented. You know, we saw a lot of flashes at BYU last season. He was second in completion percentage, third in passing yards, third in passing touchdowns at BYU. But, again, I I love what we have seen out of the preseason out of him. He's 15 to 20, 75% completion percentage. You know, not not doing extremely strenuous things, a lot of easy reads. But he's pinpoint accurate – like, he's, he's got a cannon. Him and Corey Davis connected on a lot of really quick routes, a lot of great timing where he's splitting it between defenders. The biggest thing to me, Carson, that makes this kid special as a quarterback, Zach Wilson is not scared. He's not scared at all. That man was poised in the pocket. The Giants brought a lot of pressure on him in the preseason, and he stood in there, and he took it like a man. He was delivering balls as he's getting hit. He's fearless, and that matters. Like, he's not scared whatsoever to make those tough throws and take those licks. Again, accurate. He's got good timing with his receivers already. And on that, I just think this offense, again, I, I mentioned this in our last pod, I think this offense is perfectly tailored to a guy with, with Zach Wilson's skill set. West Coast arrived offense, a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of play-action fakes, and deception. And it's just going to freeze D-Lineman at the line of scrimmage. It's going to allow him, if they do get back, to roll out to find guys in the flats. And that's something that I thought they used really well. Your boy Tyler Croft from Buffalo, Dude, they used him a lot in the preseason out of the flats. Nobody even picked him up. He rolls out, gets a 20-yard touchdown um, basically by himself. He had another play where he just got lost over the middle. It's not just him. I'm mentioning Tyler Croft like they don't have Corey Davis. Davis, a genuine number one. He's going to take a lot of pressure off of him. Um, Jamison Crowder, quick, elusive, agile, returning this season, could be a big play threat. And Elijah Moore, I mentioned him on the pod. He's Again, he's undersized, 5'9", 170, but he's a tough guy. He's not afraid to go over the middle and and make those tough catches and take those hits. Wilson is an absolute gamer. He's super talented. He's got weapons around him, and I think this offense is just perfectly tailored to his play style. And again, with the precedent that we have seen from rookies in the past, I just don't think it's unreasonable to expect 32 touchdowns from this kid in 17 games. To a game? I think Zach Wilson can do that. Um, Again, 
it's unexpected, but I, I really do. I really do expect it. And I think we're going to need to see two other things. And there's two things that could limit this. They need to establish the ground game as do all offenses. But again, your play action isn't going to work if you don't have a solid rushing attack, if they don't respect it. You know, we saw what happened to the Steelers last year. They can just load up the box and send them after Zach. And then the offensive line, they did allow a lot of pressure in the off season, but Again, the West Coast system allows him to make plays without having this offensive line having to play really well. So I like the additions they made in the offseason as well. Again, you're returning Mekhi Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker. I like them in the pass blocking game. I just I just think this is a really good fit, fit for Zach Wilson. And I'm really high on his arm, his accuracy, his poise, you know, just him being poised in the pocket. I think he is a really special talent, and I'm expecting big things from him in this rookie year. This one's nice and bold, so I can appreciate that. I think that one thing that actually might help him in this effort, Logan, and this is not necessarily going to be to the benefit of his overall efficiency or the Jets' overall offense, but it is that in the red zone, I'm not sure they're turning to that run game very much. Last year, they had seven rushing touchdowns from running backs, which is just a preposterously low number. Like, that is pretty ridiculous. They were 31st in rushing touchdowns overall, but two of those came from the great Sam Darnold. I don't think they're turning to Ty Johnson a lot in those spots. So maybe you do go a little bit to those rollouts, the short passing game with Zach Wilson, and so he can sort of beef up the touchdown numbers there. 32 is a lot, though. And I understand that we are constantly evolving offensively and quarterbacks are seemingly ready to play faster and at a higher level than ever before and offense is inflated and everything is just easier and smoother there. But Justin Herbert really did just have the best rookie quarterback season ever. Like, he was phenomenal physical tools, outstanding decision-making, accuracy, velocity of the ball. The guy was just the most impressive rookie quarterback I have ever seen. And I'm not going to bet on Zach Wilson, who I don't think is the most impressive rookie quarterback in this class, to actually outperform that. I think if I were to look at somebody for this, it would be Trevor Lawrence, who has the similar physical profile to Herbert, that big, strong physical guy, but who's also mobile, who has the cannon of the arm, who's the smart, good decision maker, all of that. He's just clearly, to me, more of the total package in that respect. So... I think Zach Wilson can have a good rookie campaign. I agree with you. I like the system for him. I like the skill set. I think he's talented. 32 touchdowns, though, is a lot for a rookie. It is. I do want to ask, though, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. Are there any other quarterbacks you would take to potentially break this over him? Like, would you take Mack? Would you take Fields? Probably not Trey because he's not going to start week one, but would you take either of those guys to potentially, you know, have a better rookie campaign or break the record over Zach? Probably not, but... I think that Zach maybe has higher upside in that he is going to be more of the offensive engine. When it comes to Mac, it's just going to be, hey, we really believe in our run game. We love our line. We want a lot of slow, grinded out, defensive, ground and pound kind of games. I think that's going to be their identity. And then Mac, it's kind of be efficient, don't turn the ball over. Justin Fields, I think, is going to score a few times on the ground. I don't see a world in which he throws for 32 touchdowns, even though he may be a better quarterback than Zach Wilson long-term. I just don't think he is going to have that same sort of, again, aerodynamic playmaking value. So, no, I would say probably not. I did think about a Mac Jones take, something involving efficiency. And honestly, just the more I think about it, the more I think the Patriots might be an 11-win team just because if they can be elite running the ball and elite defensively, Mac really doesn't have to do all that much. Like, he can just throw for 22 touchdowns and six interceptions and, again, just not turn the ball over. And I do believe that he can do that now. But I think that Zach Wilson is probably the second pick here. I think he's the guy with the second highest upset as a rookie. But, again, I do still think that Trevor is a little bit in a class of his own there. And I don't think either of them are going to do what Justin Herbert did last year. I don't know if they'll come particularly close, but they'll throw in the 20s. I think Trevor Lawrence might get up close to that 30 number because of the extra game, presuming he can stay alive down there in Jacksonville. So I like it, Logan. I like it because of the boldness. I have another record potentially being broken here. I think Darren Waller has the most receiving yards of any tight end in football, and I think he breaks Travis Kelsey's record for the most receiving yards by a tight end in a single season set last year, which I believe was 1,416, breaking the record that had just been set by George Kittle previously. This is a record that is going to continue to be broken over and over again just because, obviously, the entire nature of the position has changed. But I think that this one is very justifiable because Waller has been 
outstanding. Like, if you haven't watched a lot of Raiders football, I couldn't really blame you. But the guy is a complete athletic freak. Freakier than Kelsey because he's got more size. He's quicker. He's just an incredibly nimble athlete. He's a former receiver, and it very much shows out there. He's a freak. And over the last two years, he's got 75% of his targets. He's averaged 1,170 yards per year. And last season, got off to a slow start, wasn't that consistently productive, and then over the last five games, had 654 yards, 130.8 yards per game, Logan. And obviously, there was inconsistency in there. Again, that's not sustained production over a full year, but good grief, man. He got a ridiculous target share, and that, to me, is going to continue because Oakland is, excuse me, Vegas. I don't really like saying that. I grew up in the Bay Area. Not that I love the Raiders, but that's just weird. But anyways, they're losing 900 yards of production with Nelson Aguilar gone. Very different role. Aguilar was basically just that deep threat, but he was still their best receiver, and they're going to need a guy to turn to there because the top three receivers in Vegas right now are Henry Ruggs, very unproven, Willie Sneed, very eh, and Hunter Renfro, also just very eh. Like, I don't know if any of those guys top 700 yards. But the Raiders are going to throw the ball a lot, and they're probably going to throw the ball pretty well because we've seen Derek Carr can produce and be efficient there. So I just think Waller is such a clear go-to. He can be that intermediate target. He can be that short target. Like, there's nothing you can't do. He can be a deep threat. He can beat guys on goal routes. You can give him a screen, and you can do some of that more traditional tight end over the middle of the field stuff. A lot of it. The guy is just a freak. I would not be surprised if he had 1,500 yards this year with that 17th game. And a lot of people will look at, obviously, Kelsey because he's the greatest receiving tight end we've ever seen. And then outside of that, George Kittle, because I think he's certainly the more famous name at this point than Darren Waller. But who do I think is the better receiver? I think Waller could be better than both of them. The thing that scares me a little bit about Kelsey is Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball. And the loss of Sammy Watkins means maybe a little bit of an increase in the target share for him, too. But I'm all in on Waller. I think he's remarkable. And I don't think that we talk enough about how he is completely an all-time special talent like a Kittle, like a Kelsey. He just does slightly different things and isn't as much of the plus blocking because, again, he's a converted receiver. But the guy's a freak. I think he's going to have a freakish season. I like the pick. I know he's your guy. Um, and honestly, Carson, I think you could go with another prediction for him, and that's maybe touchdown marks. Like I think he surpasses the nine-touchdown mark he had last year. I think he'd very well get 12 and put him up, you know, basically in the all-time record books for tight end in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. The best part is all the production you're losing from Aguilar, Waller should be open all season long. And again, if Jacobs can, you know, again, repeat what he did on the ground, that play-action game is going to be absolutely deadly with that duo. It's it's hot. It's hot as hell. It's like the DMX album, man. It's a uh, hell is hot, and this take is too. I, I love it. I'm, I hope we see it. And Darren Waller's definitely, I mean, I think I would say, what, third most talented tight end in the NFL, definitely with behind Kittle and Kelsey. Do you think he's like, I, I, I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. Like, do you think he's like all-time talent? Like, like, okay, I don't want to say like Tony Gonzalez or somebody like that, but do you think he's, he's like up there? Absolutely. I think he's clearly a, a more impressive receiver than Tony Gonzalez was, but that's just because the nature of the position has evolved. He wouldn't have been a tight end in any other era. He would have been a receiver. Like, he's... A hybrid, clearly. He has the skill set of receiver. He just happens to be playing tight end. But I think he is a better receiver than George Kittle. I don't think he's a better all-around tight end because Kittle just mauls people as a blocker. But yeah, I think he is special. I think he's going to end up probably in the top 10 in tight end receiving categories. What's tough for him is he's such a late bloomer. Like This is his third year as a starter, and he's 28, I think just because it took him a while to get going and he didn't make that transition to tight end early on. But now that he's here, I just think he's going to stick around. I think he's going to put up some crazy numbers because he's a number one receiver. In Oakland, in Vegas, he is a number one receiver and he is going to produce accordingly. Man, dude, we're just living in the past. Yeah, San Diego, Oakland, <laughs> great cities. They deserve football teams, all right? Damn right. Maybe a St. Louis too, pretty good... Uh... Okay, never mind. Sorry, guys. I guess Carson doesn't bang with you. Um, I like it. I have got another statistical prediction for a few running backs. Um, that's my next take, and it is Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Chase Edmonds, and your boy Ronald Jones II all go over 
1,500 scrimmage yards. You know, this may not seem super bold off rip, but I want to emphasize only nine players accomplished this feat last season. Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, Jonathan Taylor, and James Robinson. So to have basically four brand new faces in that mix, I think it is a pretty bold take. And I just think there's a lot of really positive signs for why these guys can do it. For Miles Sanders, he had 1,064 scrimmage yards in 12 games in 2020. That's on 5.3 yards per attempt and seven, uh, yeah, seven flat yards per catch. That's on pace if he had played a full season, for, uh, 1,418 in 16 games. And it, it, the year previous, he had you know nearly 1,400 scrimmage yards in 16 games. So, I mean, Sanders is a beast. I, I talked about uh, in our previews for the Eagles how I thought he was going to be a really big factor for them this season. And again, running the football is where it's going to be dramatically changed. This offensive line returns. I know you're a little skeptical about the Eagles' offensive line overall, but they were dog doo-doo last season. And now you're just having competent guys in there. Again, in a 16-game clip, he almost gets to that 1,500 mark with bums in front of him. This is now with Hertz out there, who's going to be able to dump him the ball off in the backfield and get him those same receiving touches he got with Wentz, with whoever was in there, Nate Sudfeld, whoever he won in at quarterback. And now with a revamped offensive line, he is even more of a factor on the ground. Again, one of the best, uh, one of the best running backs in the NFL, yards per touch. So I think Sanders is my lock. The next guy, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I know a lot of people were skeptical about him. 1,100 scrimmage yards in 13 games. He was on pace for nearly 1,400 last season. And again, it's the same case. I think this revamped O-line, the Chiefs had a really good offensive line last season, really good at pass blocking and keeping Pat Mahomes up, but they weren't good at opening holes for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He had a couple good games, but when it came down to it, they're just not a good run blocking unit. With these new pieces that they've added, I think it. I think CEH, is he reaps the real benefits uh, of this team revamping this offensive line. Uh, my next guy is Chase Edmonds Carson. We talked, oh, also, I want to emphasize, I forgot to mention this, Sammy Watkins' departure, come on. That just means more touches out of the backfield for him. Somebody's got to step up in that third, uh, you know, real difference maker spot for Kansas City, and I think it could be him in the receiving game as well. you got Chase Edmonds. He had 850 yards from scrimmage in 2020, 53 catches, 402 yards. An amazing receiving back. And again, I want to put emphasis on this. That's behind Kenyon Drake for most of the season. We have not, in three seasons, we have yet to see this kid fully flesh out what he can do on the football field because of his limited opportunities. I think this year, he, I think he goes insane. I almost, Carson, I'm not going to lie, for all these guys, I thought about saying 2,000 scrimmage yards, and I realized what a crazy astronomical take that would have been. But I think Edmonds has a massive season. And then Rojo, Rojo's just your boy. I'm with you. I, I think... This one's tough because of Fournette obviously being here and us presuming that he's going to have a bigger role. I just think he's a better running back, bruh. Like, I just think that they should relegate Fournette to the backup role and let Rojo do his thing. That one's probably the hottest of this just because he's going to have to split time with him. Obviously, the revamp passing attack, you bring back A.B., Evans, Godwin. Rojo's probably my stiffest one. He only had 1,100 uh, scrimmage yards, but that was in 14 games. So, Rojo, I'm probably on the fence of. These top three guys, though, Edmonds, Edwards, Lair, and Sanders are, I think, absolute locks uh, to accomplish this. Uh, where are you on this? Do you think I'm, uh, I'm out in the weeds, or, or are you anticipating pretty big seasons from these guys? Big fan of this take. Lots of guys who I like here. And, in fact, it leads right into one of my bold predictions. And you said that 2K number is astronomical. I think Miles Sanders gets close to it this year. First of all, you have that extra game, as you mentioned. But you read out some of the numbers that we saw from him last year where you see 867 rushing yards on 5.3 yards per carry in 12 games. Over a 17-game season, that's 1,230 yards, all right? So that's pretty solid. You'd have to up that by a little bit. Sure, 2,000 is an insane number, but I think that we also saw in his rookie year, he was heavily involved in the receiving game, over 500 receiving yards. Last year, that was not the case nearly as much. But in games, Jalen Hurts started alongside him, which there were only three of, so a limited sample size. But still, Sanders averaged almost twice as many receiving yards in those games as he did in games where Carson Wentz started. So I think that there is room for him to get much closer to his rookie year production as far as the air game goes. You add an extra game to that. Maybe he gets up 
to around 600 receiving yards. I think he could totally have 1,400 rushing yards. I don't think there's anybody competing for touches with him in that backfield unless you're a huge Boston Scott guy. Like, Jalen Hurts is going to actually have some attempts on the ground, but obviously of a very different nature. And I think that the passing game can be improved this year for the Eagles because I think that Jalen Hurts is going to be better. Certainly, I think the introduction of Devontae Smith is very significant there. I think that he could have a 11, 1,200-yard season. Like, I think this offense is going to be better than people expect. I think the Eagles are going to be a solid team. I had them at 7-10. and 10. I think that that's probably higher than the consensus mostly because I like this young offensive core a little bit more than most. But I think that is established by the ground game. I think Sanders is the foundation there. I think he is the star of this group. And I think that if he had played a full 16 games last year, maybe that would be more of the consensus opinion. And he wasn't the most consistent, but the dude is explosive. He has some massive big playability there. And again, you just get him involved in that receiving game, which I expect him to be because even though the weapons are improved in Philly, you still just need to rely on your playmakers, even if Miles Sanders isn't a obviously receiver. I still think you need to get him involved in the passing game because other than that, your options just are not all that great. So I love that one clearly. In fact, I wish you'd gone a little bit further with it. Clydro. I like that one too. 1,500 to me is very doable for him because again, I don't think there's competition in that backfield for the most part. And I think that he's absolutely going to have a more pronounced impact in the receiving game. I say this all the time, but that was supposed to be his defining trait coming out of LSU, and we did not see that last year. Chase Edmonds, I like that too. I'm a big Chase Edmonds guy. I think that with a full year as a number one running back, as a legitimate receiving target, that's very achievable. And I will agree that Ronald Jones is the toughest, although I think he'll be around 1,000 yards rushing, maybe even better than that. I just don't think he has the receiving impact. That's not really in his tool bag all that much. And you are right about Fournette. There will have to be some sort of sharing there as far as the carries. But I'm a fan of this take. I like it. I like all those guys. And I'm going even further with Miles Sanders. Like, I think he could very well be one of the best running backs in football. He's still young, obviously, in his third year, but still improving as well. And he's going to have a lot on his shoulders this year. But I think that he can handle it both as that runner, and as that pass catcher. So with that, what's your fourth bold take? Uh, my fourth bold take is actually on the opposite side of the ball from what we've discussed so far, back to my original sort of Steelers take here. It's on the defensive side. It's about the New England Patriots, and I think they have a top three defense in 2021. Uh, I think you're exactly right. You talked about Mac Jones earlier and how the pressure is going to be off of him. What a – I don't know, Carson – and I, I was racking my brain before the show if I could think of a better situation for a rookie quarterback in, like, NFL history. And there's not many. Like, I think of Big Ben back in 2004 with the Steelers stepping into, you know, playing with Jerome Bettis, Heinz Ward, that amazing defense. Russell Wilson in 2012, that amazing defense, stepping in with Marshawn Lynch. That's kind of it. Like, I can't genuinely think of many better spots to land as a rookie quarterback and I just – I am so high on this defense. First, we have to contextualize the – just the amazing track record of Bill Belichick. He comes back in 21 seasons, Carson. He has only had three def- – uh, wow, English. Tough sometimes. Three defenses ranked below league average in o, uh, 2000, 02, and 05. And they were all ranked 17th, like basically just borderline league average. He's had 17 defenses that have ranked top 10. He's had eight that have ranked top five. And he's had three number one defenses. So if you're just betting on Bill Belichick having a good defense, it's a safe bet. The Patriots are always going to be solid. They had the number seven ranked overall defense in 2020. And it was anchored by the secondary. J.C. Jackson returns. There is a little slight hole potentially here with Stephon Gilmore. He's expected to miss like eight weeks with a quad injury, um, or six weeks, excuse me. But again, if he's back healthy, this uh, secondary will be solid. But there were two big holes in this defense last season, and that was the run defense and the pass rush. And I think all of the front seven, I think all of that has been shored up by what they did in this offseason. They bring in Matt Judon, two-time Pro Bowler, six sacks last season, 24 and a half in the three previous seasons. They bring back Kyle Van Noy, again, six sacks in each of the past two seasons. And this run defense, the biggest hole on this team, they were 26th ranked last season. They didn't have their best player. Dante Hightower missed the entire year because of COVID, and he's coming back. And then you had Christian Barmore from Alabama, a first-round talent. I cannot believe he slipped to the second round. I mean, 
what an absolute steal for Bill Belichick. Like, again, this was the number seven defense with how many opt-outs? Uh, now, again, we can't expect signs of regression. I think we ex- expect regression out of the secondary. I don't think you can expect them to lead the league in interceptions. Again, it's just hard to replicate those kind of turnovers, but they have the difference makers returning. They only lost McCourty. Um but yes, this pass rush is going to be so much better. This run defense is going to be so much better. And again, Carson, on that, like I, I really, I can see a world. If their in-division schedule wasn't so hard, maybe I could pick them to win 12 games. I think 10-11 is a damn near lock for New England, and it's going to be anchored by this defense. So my official take here, there's a lot of good defenses in the NFL. Like Tampa Bay, Los Angeles, Washington, and Pittsburgh are probably the other contenders to knock them down. But I'm not going top five. I think this team's going to be top three. They've got the greatest defensive mind in football history anchoring them, bringing them back. They've got a lot more talent added. Uh, I'm really high on the Patriots this year, and that's hard for me to say. As a, as a lifelong Pats hater, you're in that same boat. But top three defense, I don't think it's out at nearly out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I want to be brief in supporting this case because <laughs> I don't like to hear it. I don't like to think about it. But the Patriots really do impress me the more I think about it and the more that we have seen out of Mac. And it's like, all right, this guy could be an okay starting quarterback. And that wasn't fully the expectation. Or I guess maybe I didn't think that I would trust the run game as much as I have. I don't know. But just everything about the Patriots, the more I think about it, the more I'm like 10-11 wins should probably be more of the expectation than like a best-case scenario. So I think this is a good take. I think that you said it we should really only expect growth for the most part if that pass rush is more dynamic, which it absolutely should be. And uh, the offense remains the question mark, and the passing game remains the question mark with this team, but the defense will be exceptional. I think it's a lock to be like a top eight unit, and I think that if that pass rush really does get going, then the top three potential is definitely there. Maybe Matt Patricia can drag them down being back. I don't know. Maybe he's just going to be a bummer. Clearly not a very good NFL coach in the scheme of things, but the Patriots will play great defense. Breaking news, 2021, still doing what they've been doing for 20 years. I think this is a good take, Logan. And I do think it's bold because top three is obviously impressive for any team to do, but given the fact that last time we saw basically this group fully healthy, they were up there for best defense of the 21st century. They're not going to force turnovers like that again, although clearly they came kind of close last year, and now they are getting pieces back, and they are introducing Judon and all of that. They probably still won't do what they did in 2019, but they might be somewhat in the ballpark, and if they are, this is going to be a really, really good football team because for those of you who don't remember, they held opponents to 14 points per game two years yeah. ago in today's NFL, which is unthinkable, and they really don't have very many losses from that team, so that is scary. I like that take. We're going to stay in the AFC here. I think, Logan, that Lamar Jackson breaks his rushing yards record here. We, we literally, like, I, I don't have this exact take, but, I mean, that's my next take, bro. Great. I love this. Go ahead. All right. Well, I will go ahead because, uh, first of all, the 17 games thing is very relevant here. I think it's relevant with my Darren Waller take. I think it's relevant with my Miles Sanders take. It's a little bit of crutch here where things sound really bold and then you realize, okay, you have another game to do it, but it's also still just 6% of the season, okay? So it's not changing everything. Breaking records is still very impressive, and we'll have to, as nerds, sort of toggle with how do we evaluate these new records. It's going to be very complicated emotionally seeing records fall when guys have an extra game, but we'll deal with it. They dealt with it when... OJ's record was broken, and God knows how beloved that guy was. Family man, came from a good background, just an all-around stellar guy, and boy, could he run the football. As Norm McDonald once said, the only thing he's guilty of is being the greatest rusher to ever play the game. But when it comes to Lamar, who is another exemplary gentleman, but actually an exemplary gentleman, two years ago, when he came out and had his MVP season, set the record with 1,206 rushing yards, did that in 15 games. That's an average of 80.4 yards per game. Now, with 17 games, if he just averages 71 yards per game, almost 10 less, he's got the record because he's got two more games to play. Last year, he was at like a bit above 67 yards per game. I think that we can expect him to slightly improve that average because 
with J.K. Dobbins out, I just think he's going to have to do a little bit more with his feet. And I think that the Ravens are going to have an incredible run game no matter what because Lamar is there. The stress that that imposes on defenses. I think that Gus Edwards is a very solid running back. I think that Tyson Williams is a guy who people are excited about. But still, J.K. Dobbins was going to be the lead back. And so I think that a little bit more responsibility falls on Lamar now. And part of me is thinking, you know, he's in year three as a starter now. As he's getting older, like, is he going to be more tentative about putting his body on the line or whatever? But with Lamar, that's just never going to be a possibility. Like, you can't be conservative and pick your spots with Lamar Jackson as a runner. It is what makes him what he is. He has to carry the ball 160, 170 times every year because that is how you become the kind of dynamic offense that the Ravens are. And if he's only running the ball 75% of as much as he used to or whatever, well, first of all, you're not saving him that many hits and you're definitely taking a little bit of something away from your offense. So I think he's going to go all out there. I think he's going to have a remarkable season. I think he'll be closer as far as per game average goes to that MVP season. And he's got a couple more games to break the record. And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, the reason he didn't play that one game in his first year was because they had secured the bye. I don't think that happens this year, especially with there only being one bye. And so I think that he does it. Superb take. I mean, I think the Dobbins injury makes this more reasonable as of the 17 games. But my my take here is similar, just a little different. My take is Ravens overall have a even more historic rushing campaign just as a team. Um, and as you said, the Ravens have consistently had the best, again, absolutely historic rushing attack with Lamar Jackson uh, in football. Like, in, in again, in football history, 2019, most rushing yards in a single season ever by a team, 3,296. First in yards, first in yards per attempt, second in touchdowns, 2020. They have the fourth most rushing yards uh, in a single season with 3,071. And again, I think the Dobbins injury hurts their potential ceiling for what they could do. I think he's clearly – I like Gus Edwards, and I'm going to get into this. Dobbins would have been the best running back on this on this team. That's why I loved him as a pick last year. He was awesome at Ohio State. So, yes, it hurts, but I, it doesn't derail them. I mean, again, you're returning Lamar Jackson, who set the single QB rushing yards record in 2019. He had the third highest last year in 2020. And Gus Edwards – He's strong. He's balanced. He's a bull runner, man. He's going to be dangerous between the tackles. 700 or 700 plus yards and five more yards per attempt in every season of his career. And that's without really being the starter, Carson. That's with having to share touches. This year, he could really break out as the sole dominant running back here. Then again, you've got Justice Hill, Tyson Williams. I like them as well. And to add on, it's not just the 17th game. I think the offensive line improvements really helped them here. Kevin Zeitler, one of the best guards in football. And I, again, I've harped on this fact. The Giants' rushing attack really picked up without Saquon Barkley last year. Zeitler's a big part of that. Him adding to the equation here, he was a cog in the machine in Cincinnati when Jeremy Hill, Giovanni Bernard, and the boys were tearing it up back then. And then you had Alejandro Villanueva. Granted, run blocking really isn't his strong suit, and he's a good pass blocker, but he's not having to take that blind side over anymore. When Lamar rolls out to that right side, again, Villanueva's moving to the right tackle spot. He's traditionally played over at left in Pittsburgh. He has a huge, he's a huge factor on that side. I just think the line has improved, which is <laughs> crazy to say. The, the running backs aren't terrible. Gus Edwards is really solid and could break out. And Lamar Jackson is going to probably, again, have, if he stays healthy, Another top five uh, rushing, you know, QB season of all time. So, uh, I like your take, him breaking the record. I think I think the Ravens just have the greatest rushing attack of all time by total yardage. Um, so, that's my hot take. I love it. I love it. 2021, remarkable to see a team that is able to reach those elite heights by doing so much of it on the ground. Of course, it's an evolved form because it's the quarterback doing it, but still crazy. Also, I wanted to mention, uh, you talked about the Bills rushing attack. You know, they were absolutely killer. Uh, they had the most uh, rushing yards uh, per game uh, in NFL history with like 230. Just absolutely criminal. The Ravens are probably going to take that, uh, you know, take that yardage record from them. Absolutely criminal, Logan. Absolutely criminal. Uh, yeah, J.K. Dobbins was really good last year. Six yards of carry is just ludicrous, and I don't know. If he got more touches, maybe could have had a kind of Pro Bowl fringe all-pro season, but I just think that this is kind of a plug-and-play situation as the running back position is, I think, in a lot of football, but especially here when you have Lamar Jackson leading it all. Logan's in agony over something. His fantasy draft is starting right now. Maybe he missed his pick. I don't know. I'm just going to go with my next bold prediction, though. 
And Logan, this is actually related to one of your bold predictions from last show. Because you have the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs beating the Chiefs and the Bills. You timed this out perfect. You know who I just missed? I just missed Derrick Henry. I queued him up and all. The commissioner hadn't started the draft yet. I queued up Derrick Henry in case I missed my pick, and they took Dalvin Cook. Dalvin's an excellent running back. But I wanted Derrick Henry, man. I'm fuming. I'm fuming. I just feared for my life when I saw the look that Logan gave me. Like, that was very unsettling. That's an upset man. So here's my take for the Titans, who I do not think are going to the AFC Championship. I think they have a top 20 scoring offense of all time, and I think they have a bottom 20 scoring defense of all time. Very bold. Logan, I don't think, is processing it right now because he's dealing with the emotional trauma. But that's a bold take, Logan. Top 20 scoring offense of all time, I'll say it again, and bottom 20 scoring defense of all time. Whoa, bold stuff. (laughs) Here's the thing. I think that it is actually attainable for them. To be that top 20 offense, and I'm not going by total points here, although I could do that and lean on the 17 games crutch. I'm not going to do that. We're going to say per game here. I still think it's doable. They'd have to score like 32 points per game, and they'd have to allow like 29 and a half. So that's basically a one and a half point increase from last year when they scored 30.7 as far as how many points they produce, and then as far as allow, it would be like two points per game more than last year. But I think that the offense... As remarkable as it was last year, we expect to be better with the addition of Julio Jones and not really losing key pieces there with the exception of Corey Davis, who Julio is obviously a significant upgrade from. So I think the offense could be the best in football. I think it should be one of the three or four best in football, and we've talked about that before. I just think that everything is so easy for them through the air there, and now they have crazy weapons to make it happen. But on the defensive end, I really do think that even though they were towards the bottom of the league in defense last year, They were arguably worse than was reflected by the scoring average they allowed there. And I think that they will be even worse this year, which is crazy because a couple years ago when they did make that AFC Championship run, they were playing very good defense, but they have fallen very far since then. So last year, they allowed 6,372 yards, which was the fifth most in football. They allowed the third most first downs, and they were undisciplined. They were among the five most penalized defenses in football. The only thing that saved them from being in the absolute cellar of the league, which they were still close to, was that they finished eighth in takeaways. I don't think that you can really expect them to sustain that. They've lost three corners. Malcolm Butler is now retired from football entirely, but at least three rotational corners to a secondary that was already very bad, except for forcing some turnovers, but they let up a ton of yardage and touchdowns through the air. They've slightly improved their pass rush with the additions of Danico Autry, and Bud Dupree. They also lost to Davion Clowney, who I think if he were healthy for a full season, could have been the best guy in that room with those two new additions. And that's to a pass rush that had 19 sacks last year. That was 31st in pressure rate. So their pass rush is still not scaring anybody. It's still going to be pretty bad. They're coming from a very low point. And I think that their secondary is going to be even worse. So there's a couple things that concern me here. Part of which is possibly the tempo of the game just because they're a team that runs the ball a lot. But clearly, that didn't slow them down last year. They still put up ridiculous amounts of points and let up a whole lot of points. And I think that they'll probably lean even towards the air a little bit more here with the addition of Julio and whatnot. And then I look at their schedule. Two games against the Texans is really going to help their defensive totals at the end of the year. That's going to help. Because I don't think the Texans are putting up 27 to 30 points on anybody. But maybe. Maybe the Titans are that bad. And then for their offense, as far as the output they can have, they have to go up against a lot of pretty good defenses. In non-division play, you face the entire NFC West. That's probably three really good defenses. We'll see what the Seahawks can do, but even they were really good towards the end of last year. Then you have the Pats, you have the Dolphins. So that's tough. It's a tall task. Being top 20 all-time in anything is a tall task, much less top 20 in one thing and bottom 20 in another thing. But I think they can do it. I think they are that one-sided, and I think that they are that great offensively and that bad defensively. And all around, what does that result in? A pretty good team, a 9-8, and 10-7 team that is incredible, again, on the offensive end, but so flawed on the defensive end that they still have no chance at a Super Bowl. So I want to ask, this is uh, by total like scoring defense, correct? Well, I'm saying points per game okay. allowed, but it's scoring across the board, yes. It's... <sighs> 
It's an it's bold. I think this is my boldest take. I would agree, especially just because the offensive explosion isn't a given. I mean, to have that historic in offense is tough. And I also want to contextualize uh, the 2000 Rams are on here um, as like one of the bottom 20 defenses of all time. So in theory, they could still do big things, even though they don't have a really talented defense. But that's where I draw the line. I, I don't think, I don't know if this defense is that bad. Like, don't get me wrong. We went on air and we said, I, they're going to suck. Like, they're not going to be a good defense, but Dupree, Autry, Simmons, really talented guys. I expect them to stuff the run, expect them to rush the passer pretty well. You highlighted the pretty big key that that really let them down, and that's just the secondary. Uh, maybe the worst in the league. They're going to get lit up, and that's what's going to let them down. Um, it's bold, and that's why I'm having trouble really accepting it. It is a really bold take. I'm going to disagree just because I don't think the defense is going to be that bad. Also, I, I picked the damn guys to the AFC Championship game. Uh, I like it, though. This is certainly bold, and if it comes true, you deserve a cookie, my friend. Well, thank you. And here's the other thing, is that you have a little bit of a cheat code with all this stuff because numbers are just bigger than ever. Like, another one I considered here, which I think may be true, is that we have a team in football score 35 points per game this year. I also considered that we have three or maybe even four of the top 25 scoring offenses of all time, and that's per game average. Last year, we had two of them. The Packers and the Bills were both there, and the Titans and I believe the Chiefs were really knocking on the door. Like, they're not that far behind. So I think that the top 20 scoring offense is actually pretty doable. Like, if you're in the top three offenses in football this year, period, you should be there just because it's such an explosive era. And then defensively, the converse is kind of true. Like, the Jags are in the bottom 20 scoring defenses of all time from last year. I'm not saying that the Titans are going to be that bad, but I don't think they're going to be better than last year. I think they're going to be worse than last year. I think they're going to be in shootouts consistently like we've almost never seen. And I will catch you a little bit with one thing you said there, Logan, because I feel like that Rams comment was maybe meant to help justify your AFC championship pick. This was actually the one year that the Rams were not a great team because their defense was so bad they lost in the wild card round. You just can't win if your defense is going to be that bad as far as winning the Super Bowl because that's the greatest offense ever, a lot of people would say, and they still lost in the first round of the playoffs. Good point. I thought this was one of their Super Bowl teams. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I need some consulting real quick, Carson, live on air. Um, I'm on the clock. I got stuck with Dalvin Cook. Not a bad pick. Should I get Najee Harris? Uh, There's Patrick Mahomes is still on the board, bruh. Josh Allen's on the board. I don't want to go wide out. I know that for sure. I'm also thinking about going like Darren Waller or Kyle Pitts after that take. Who who should I go with, bro? I'm, I'm kind of leaning Najee. I'm not going to lie. You think Pat's the guy? Well, I come from a biased standpoint because I've played in a very quarterback slanted league my entire time. So I took Pat seventh overall, which you would never do in a normal fantasy league. Maybe go Najee. I don't know. Personally, I think Darren Waller is going to be a ridiculous pick because of the value you get compared to tight ends if you guys have a traditional tight end mm-hmm. versus a flex. But out of the running backs, I like Najee a little bit more than Jonathan Taylor, a lot more than everybody else. He's doing it. I love it. I got to. I, I always like going with the Steelers running back. I took James Conner last year. <laughs> LOL. Good pick. Um, with that, let's get. I'm going to get into my final pick, which actually does revolve around the Pittsburgh Steelers once more. Carson, you asked me in our last show who I thought that – who I thought was going to be the guy that broke out in the Steelers' receiving core. And I told you it's Chase Claypool. I still think Claypool's the best overall receiver on this team, but I don't necessarily think he's going to put up the biggest numbers. So my official, and maybe this isn't super bold because he kind of did it last year, I think that Deontay Johnson leaves this team in catches and receiving yards this season despite the crowded room with Juju Smith-Schuster with Chase Claypool. Last season, he led the Steelers in targets with 144. He finished second in catches with 88. Also, what a horrible catch rate, 88 of 144. DJ had a lot of struggles just catching the football last year. It was excruciating some games. Steelers led the league in drops, and I think Deontay Johnson led the league in drops out of individual receivers. But he was first in yards in the team with 923. And I just, this kid, man. I, I know people are now finally waking up to the beast that is Deontay Johnson. This kid's special. The Steelers know their receivers, and he's just so talented, man. Get the kid the ball. You know, you get the ball in the kid's hands on a drag, on a slant. He's He doesn't have great hands, but if that comes along, he's unstoppable. He's super hard to tackle. He's super elusive. He's super agile. He's super quick. 
He, and he's just hard to bring down. And you can get him a ball in all kinds of ways. Screens, curls, flats, drags. Like, in the short passing game, man, DJ is a menace. And, again, Ben targeted him 144 times last year. Granted, this was in Randy Finger's offense, so a lot of it was no reads whatsoever. It was snap the ball, and it was get it to DJ. But I don't think that changes. Claypool and Juju should be on the outside. If Matt Canada is a smart guy, he should put DJ in the slot and maybe switch it up a little bit with pre-play motion, moving Juju to the slot, moving DJ to the outside just to play with it. But I think DJ is our strongest slot guy, and that's normally where Ben is looking to feed the ball. That's why he got so many opportunities last season. Again, we did run a little bit of that pre-play stuff with DJ, and that's why he got some of his touches. But I just think he's going to—I just think he's— I just think he's going to have opportunities. He's good at getting separation. He's good at getting open. And I think this is the year where he really blooms, man, where DJ maybe doesn't cement himself as, again, the best overall receiver. I still think that Claypool is more talented, and Juju's probably just a better all-around receiver. But DJ's special. And I don't know. That's why it's bold. There's two more talented guys, in my opinion, on this roster. But Deontay Johnson just gets open, man. Um, so that's my take. I think he leads the Steelers in receptions. I think he goes over 100, over 1,000 yards, over 10 touchdowns. That in itself, I think, is pretty bold. But uh, Deontay Johnson's my guy, and I'm rocking with him. Interesting take. I don't think that anybody in this room is going to have insane production because I think that, obviously, they're going to eat into each other's targets a good bit. Like, I think they could all be up near 1,000 yards, honestly. I also think it's possible, not probable, that none of them cross that threshold. I think that one of them will, maybe even two of them. This is interesting. I like Deontay a lot. I think that obviously there were some scarring stretches last year where he's not even allowed out there on the field because of the drops, and that was pretty brutal. Go Josh Allen. Just do it. Should I consider Darren Waller at all? You should consider him, but go Josh Allen. Yeah. As I was saying, this is a really good room. I think that all these guys are going to have good production. I don't know if I object to this. I think it's very likely that he leads the team in catches. I guess it's bold. I guess he's probably the least notable of the three to most people, but early on in the year especially, he was their most productive receiver, and then he had a little bit of that midseason slump, but then at the end, he came on relatively strong again and had that really good game against the Browns in the playoffs. So, yeah, I could definitely see this happening. My final bold prediction is that the Carolina Panthers will be a top 10 defense this year. And this is an interesting one. I don't know if I love it. I want to do something defensive, though, because I've been so offensively slanted in this episode. I think that they should be really improved there from what we saw last year. Hassan Reddick is a massive addition. The guy is a machine. 12 and a half sacks last year was really in the race to lead the league. He was close. And he and Brian Burns, who was the Panthers' best pass rusher last year, were both top 15 in pressures. And so I think that that is very significant. Derek Brown from the interior, I think already had some impressive moments as a rookie and is very likely to improve there. So that front, I think I'm actually feeling pretty good about. And then the corners, pretty rough last year, didn't really have established guys there. But the additions of A.J. Bouye and J.C. Horn, I think, can help a lot there because Bouye hasn't been great in coverage the last couple years. But I think that... We know what he's capable of, and if he can just be a solid starting corner, that's an upgrade from what they had. And J.C. Horn, I think, is a guy who a lot of people believe can be a solid starting corner right off the bat, too. So if you're just solid in that secondary, maybe even a little bit better than that. Jeremy Chin is another guy in the secondary who had an impressive rookie campaign, but I think you also expect to improve. And that's kind of the thing for me here. It's not just the additions, which, again, there are several of. Hassan Raddick, A.J. Bouye, J.C. Horn. It's also that this is a young group that should be improving, should be able to get pressure, should be able to cover pretty well. It would be great if they could bring back Luke Keekley. Then I would really feel incredible about what they have in the linebacking core as well. But I just think this is going to be a hungry, young, talented group. They're going to be defined by their defense to me, even though they have really nice weapons offensively, really nice weapons. And uh, I look at the Panthers and I think maybe I should have picked them to win eight games, nine games. I don't know. I like this team. I just don't like Sam Darnold. This is hot. This is definitely a hot take. I think this is his, honestly as hot as your Tennessee take. I don't know, man. This is a tough one. Like, I think, I think the pass rush just really has to improve. They were horrendous last season. And, it's, again, it's not like they don't have talented guys here. Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick could be 
deadly next year. I mean, just dangerous off the edge. And again, Derek Brown's a dog. Great run stopper right now. And if they're getting that pressure off the edge, he eats from the interior. So I definitely see a higher ceiling with this pass rush. I see a higher ceiling with this secondary. It's just that's a really big leap, man. Um, it's definitely bold. Were, were there any other like defenses that you considered to take a leap like this? Do you think the Panthers have the most to gain year to year with the additions that they've made? I think a lot of people would maybe look at the Cardinals and the leap would have to be higher. It would have to be something like top five. I don't know. Their pass rush will be better with Chandler Jones there. And I don't think JJ is necessarily a better pass rush than Hassan Reddick at this point, but adding Chandler Jones alone is enough for them to take the leap. Outside of that, I don't really know who I would have considered. Like, I like what the Panthers did. I like their additions. I agree. Top 10 is lofty. Because there are a lot of good established defenses in football right now. There's a lot of them. I mean, I think maybe the obvious pick would be like the Broncos. And I think that they could get there because of how outstanding that secondary is. And getting Bradley Chubb back. And they just looked really impressive in preseason. It's a little basic to me. I don't know. Everybody's all over the Broncos right now. And I'm actually not quite as all over the Broncos. Because a lot of it has to do with Teddy. Not a big Teddy guy. But I like the Panthers. I think that they will be improved. I think they'll be a good bit improved. And they weren't a terrible defense last year. I think they were the 18th scoring defense. And I do think that having that second high-level pass rusher is massive. It's massive. Because when you only have one guy that really scares teams, you can just load up on him. And it just is not a balanced pass rushing attack. You need to have multiple threats. One great pass rusher is really not enough to unlock a team to being a great defense. And I think that now they have the best pass rusher in their room as a new introduction in Hassan Reddick. So there you go. Those are bold. I agree. And I think the Titans one is definitely bold as well because there is some talent in that room defensively. But I'm going to bet against it, and I'm going to bet on the Panthers' talent. Now, I know these weren't your only takes. I definitely I want to hear, uh, hear some of these other hot ones. You said you, you overrode. Hey, give them to me. Okay, so these were some other ones that I considered. One of them was, as I said earlier, TJ Watt has 20 sacks. I like that one. I think that that could happen. Tua Tungavailoa throws less than 15 touchdowns this year, and that's not even saying that he gets hurt or anything. That's just in a year as a starter. I could see that happening. I mean, I love this Dolphins defense, but I think the offense is going to struggle. I had Matt Ryan leads the league in passing yards because I think that even though you add a nice running back there and Mike Davis, he's a receiving back. Like, that's what makes him intriguing. I think that they have crazy weapons through the air. They've always been a pass-oriented attack. Last year, he led the league, I think, in completions and attempts. He had like 4,600 yards. You just up that a little bit, boom, he's there. He's obviously not the best quarterback in football, but he could get to maybe 5,000 yards with that extra game. Stephon Diggs leads the league in receiving. I thought that that was maybe bold initially, but I think he's like maybe the favorite to do that. I just think he's going to have a monster, monster season with what I expect Josh to do. Ryan Tannehill throws under five interceptions. Very bold. And part of the reason I backed off of this is not only that that's insane to do over a full season as a starter when you're not even an elite quarterback, is because I do feel like there's going to be a couple more shots downfield to Julio and things like that. But last year, he only had six over a full season. The year before that, I think he only had seven. Like, he really does not turn the ball over. Getting under five, though, is pretty much only Aaron Rodgers' territory as far as what we've seen. Other than that... I thought about just like doing a sort of collective passing take. Like maybe we have, I don't know, three 5,000-yard passers or something like that because of you could get Russ up in that conversation, Josh, Patty Mahomes. I thought about having just a pat take where he has another 5,000-yard, 50-touchdown season. Bold, but doable. He's maybe the most talented football player we've ever seen. So I considered a lot of stuff. I wrote a lot down. Anything stand out to you out of that group? Honestly, I love the Tua take for a multitude of reasons. I'm not a huge Tua guy, as is. Uh, I, I'm skeptical about just, honestly, just him as a talent. Like, I, there's nothing that he really does extremely special. And Jacoby Brissett's not a bad quarterback. You know, he could take over, and that could be the reason this take hits. Um, I'm glad you backed off of the Tannehill one. That's nuts. Five picks over a 17-game span. The the two hot ones, though, man, I definitely, I love the Ryan take. That's that's interesting. I think it's also feasible. There's still a ton of talent in Atlanta's offense. Um, I think my favorite out of that group is the Tua take, though, just because, again, I'm not really super high on them. They should have a decent running game. And 
again, Burchett could take over if an injury goes down or two is not performing. I, that's that's super hot. I may have thrown that one into the into the collection. Yeah, there was a time when that one was in the collection, but I didn't want to go so much about not just offense, but also just about players. That's why I wanted to have the Titans take and the Panthers take in there. But I like that one. I like the Matt Ryan one too. So yeah, there you have it. I'm trying to think about if there's anything else I considered. And the two one, we saw him start nine games last year and he only threw for 11 touchdowns. So like he's averaging just over one a game. You get him just under one a game. And again, you're right. Jacoby Brissett could at some point come in and take that job. I think that he's one of the best backups in football, clearly. And Tua is clearly one of the worst starters out there. So there you have it. Now, I promise we are actually done with NFL season preview content, okay? But we've got more stuff coming to you very soon. Monday, trivia time. Friday, I think, this isn't totally confirmed yet, but hopefully our first live show on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com, where we'll obviously have some actual NFL football to react to. Then the Monday after that, more NFL content, NBA stuff coming in hot within the next couple weeks. We're going to be starting our season preview content. YouTube. You already know about all that. We've got videos coming out soon. I should have one done by the end of the weekend. If I don't, sorry to disappoint you. I'm a disgrace to my family. You can follow us on social media, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, Instagram, TikTok at nerd sesh. Listen to the podcast on YouTube again, or only in audio form, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content there. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.